Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Well, I'm uh, very grateful to um, be sharing today from uh, the Word. Uh, it's always an honor to do this. I uh, don't get to do it very often, and um, uh, but I'm really grateful to do this today. Um, we have been in our Advent series. Uh, Andrew uh, kicked it off last week, preaching from uh, Psalm 98. Um, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Isaiah today. Um, but before we get there, I wanted to share just a quick scientific fact for, with you guys. Um, it's been shown that there are two types of people in the world. People who love Lord of the Rings and uh, people who think those people are just really big nerds. And, uh, and, and strangely enough, uh, they're both right. Uh, so people that do love Lord of the Rings can be big nerds. And I, I happen to be one of those people. I love uh, the story of Lord of the Rings because there's such um, light and darkness and hope uh, in that passage or in, in, in those stories. And uh, we uh, see just what is going on in the life of Tolkien uh, when he's like sharing about that. So I, I wanted to share one quick scene from the movies that I thought was a, a really cool, uh, and I'll try to describe it to you and, and things like that. We won't watch the movie today or I would just watch the movie and not, not worry about preaching. Um, but this comes from uh, the, the second movie, The Two Towers. And uh, not to bore you or anything like that, but uh, it is pretty cool. I think it's really cool. There are two characters. One um, is a person who's going to go get help because the people, the good guys, they're trapped. Uh, they're, they're in a stronghold, and they, they, they know the bad guys are coming to get them. And uh, so this one guy, he's like, I'm going to go get some help. Um, in, the, in the morning, he tells the other person, he goes, in the morning, look to the east. At dawn, look to the east. And then he rides off, and, uh, and the night comes, and the, the stronghold is surrounded by enemies. And the, the battle just gets so grim and dark. It just doesn't go well for these guys. Like, good guys are beginning to fall. They're beginning to uh, be killed. And, and everyone is just kind of really just trying to hold on and hang on to, um, uh, to their defenses. Well, it gets even worse. Um, a, a hole in the wall is blown open. And bad guys stream in, and they just want to take over everybody. And the good guys have to retreat even further into this stronghold. And uh, you're in this scene where all the women and children and everyone's just kind of huddling in this place, like hearing the banging on the doors. And it's just a really just intense scene where you're like, what's going to happen next? And uh, at some point, the dawn begins to uh, shine in the sky. And uh, up over the window, um, one of the characters that was told, like, at dawn, look to the east, he sees the sun kind of starting to shine through the window. And he remembers what was, he was told. And when he looks out, he sees over this ridge, um, Gandalf, the character who went to go get help, he is standing with other men, this cavalry of horsemen and good guys, and they come streaming down into this area to just wipe out all the bad guys and save the day. Um, I love 
moments like this where it's like it, the night gets as dark as it can get and then all of a sudden hope just kind of comes in and a turn happens. Uh, Tolkien, he loved these kinds of moments too. And he didn't really have a good English word to describe it. He was like, how do you describe something so, something that's about to be so catastrophic and then hope comes in or the turn happens. And he actually made up a word for it and he calls it a catastrophe. Uh, meaning a good catastrophe. Uh, what a, a create, like thinking about like the worst things that could happen are all of a sudden somehow in a moment reversed and redemption happens in the places that you would least expect it. Well, he loved, Tolkien loved these kinds of, of things and he actually based, yeah, the, the Lord of the Rings, totally fiction, totally fantasy or whatever, but the catastrophe, the moments where light comes into the darkness, he based his fiction stories on a true thing, a true eucatastrophe. He says his inspiration for those kinds of moments is the eucatastrophe that happened in our lifetime, in our world, in, in reality, and that was the resurrection of Jesus. He actually says that there, there's two moments. When Jesus came to the earth to be born. God came to rescue humanity by becoming human like us. And then the second was when he rose again from the dead. That's what inspired these stories. That's what inspired these moments. And so when he has moments like that, it's a true moment because it's based in and anchored in a real thing that happened in our life, in our world. And so we're, we're, we, we love these kinds of moments. We, I think they're all over the world. I mean, you, you love it in basketball games when you're looking and you're like, ah, man, they're down by two, and how are they going to pull ahead? And all of a sudden, someone just you know, sends the ball from a half-court shot, and it sinks into the net, and they win by a point, and, and the buzzer goes off, and everyone goes crazy. That's a moment of eucatastrophe. Like, these are, are, are just stuff that we love to see. Um, Isaiah, uh, which were the book we're going to be in today, he... His, the whole book is just filled with these kinds of moments of catastrophic uh, darkness and doom and judgment because of what people are doing, where they're, they're sinning. And, and then he has also these moments of hope. All of a sudden, hope come out of nowhere. Um, we're going to be looking at um, uh, chapter 9 in, in the book of Isaiah, um, 9 verses 1 through 7. And we're going to just look at what the light Brings the joy that light brings when we need it. Uh, to give you some context here, uh, it, when we get to the book of Isaiah in the scriptures, um, remember the King David? Uh, he was the good king. His son was King Solomon. And uh, King Solomon helped build the temple and do all kinds of wonderful things. But after King Solomon died and his sons and the, the continuing sons began to to reign as kings, they began to uh, just war against each other. And the house, or the, the country, the nation of Israel was split into two houses. In the northern part, you have the house of Israel. Uh, they kept the name. And then in the southern part, you have the house of Judah, where the, uh, the temple is. And Isaiah, uh, or God, sends prophets to both of these houses to say, 
you guys are not doing right. You're sinning. You're going against what I've been telling you. Um, and he sends prophets to both houses just to warn the people and to call them to repentance, to come back to him. And Isaiah is a prophet to the house of Judah, that southern uh, kingdom. And so when we read about Isaiah, we're, we're thinking about what's happening down here in the south. We're thinking about uh, the, what's happening over there up in the north and, and what, what, what kind of judgments are happening because of what people are doing. And uh, Isaiah 1 through 8, before we get into chapter 9, we learn that God desires to forgive his people, to cover their sins, but the nation as a whole just wouldn't listen. Um, So because God is a good God, he must judge wickedness. And he says because of their sins, the kingdom of Assyria is going to come in and bring destruction with them. They're going to wipe out uh, these people. But he also says uh, he, he delights in showing mercy, and he doesn't give up on the promises he's made to them. He says, although this time of judgment is coming, a future good and righteous king will come. And he will rule God's people rightly, and God's people and the whole world will be blessed under the king's rule. One more little brief context before we, we dive into to number uh, chapter 9. Remember when God made the world, he made it good, and then he made humans to be uh, created in his image, and he gave them a responsibility to uh, be rulers, co-rulers on the earth, to, to uh, show the goodness and character of God in all the things that they do. Um, that, that's his heart for all humanity, for, for all of us, but we know the story doesn't go very well. Adam and Eve sin. And they, they fall away from that dignity, that, that uh, hope of life that God had for them, that flourishing that God had for them. And so God, being the good God that he is, um, begins to reach out to the family of one man named Abraham. And in this line of Abraham, uh, he, he, he says, I'm going to covenant myself in love to this people, not because of anything they've done, but because I want to use this people to be a blessing to the whole world. I want to to use people from this group to bring blessing to everybody so that all of humanity can be and experience the blessing that God originally had for us. Um, This was God's plan. And again, as we see, uh, as we just talked about, these people that God loves and has covenanted himself to begin to just, again, like Adam and Eve, like the family story, begin to fall away. God doesn't give up on them, though. But we, we are going to look at uh, verses 8, um, the, the very last two verses right before we get into chapter 9. Um, Isaiah is just describing the judgment that's happening because of the sin of the people. And he says, The judgment's coming, and distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Such a bleak picture of of humanity. And, And again, remember, this is because they have turned away from God. They've turned away from following after life, after what's good and right and true. 
And because of that, they suffer the consequences of their sin. They, they suffer this darkness that begins to enter in, the spiritual darkness that begins to cover the land. And, and they, no matter where they look, they feel like they're in darkness. Well, remember those eucatastrophe moments. Remember those moments where things just look so bleak and so dark. When we, when we go into the next chapter, that's very, very much connected. The, these are all connected. You know, we have those chapter headings um, that weren't originally there. The very next phrase, the very next uh, words are, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. A lot of words there, but let's look at those words, no more gloom for those who are in distress. This hope feels like it comes out of nowhere. I mean, if you look between eight and nine, there's like nothing that they did to deserve the hope that God speaks into this moment. But that's how good he is. That's how his heart for his people is one of grace. He desires to bring hope and light to these people. Um, this this uh, region described, Zebulun, Naphtali, the Galilee of the nations. Um, commentators say that this is actually where, uh, you remember northern Israel, this is where the Assyrian army begins to invade. So the nation of Assyria is flowing into Israel and bringing destruction. And from this same region, God says, in the past, it, this land was humbled because of this, this wickedness thing and this, this army that's coming in. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. So this very same place, the very same place where, where destruction and gloom and darkness is coming from, God says it's going to turn and one day, blessing is going to flow from this place. What do we know of Galilee, <laughs> of the nations? Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. And if we remember, the nations come to Jesus, and they say, we want to see him. We want to know what he's like. We want to hear what he has to say. And you see the nations streaming in to uh, Galilee, streaming in to, to know Jesus God is beginning to show that his promises are being fulfilled, that he's going to use uh, uh, this area to bring blessing to the nations. Let's continue on. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." This, this passage here is this light of dawn uh, beginning to emerge, this hope that's beginning to come in this moment of gloom and doom. Uh, a light is coming, and like the dawn rising, it's bringing hope with it. But what does this light reveal? As it's pushing back the darkness, what's, 
left in, the, in, in the, the range of this light? Well, let's look at it. Whereas before, the people were in gloom and darkness, it says, they rejoice before you. As this light enters in, there's joy instead of gloom across the land. And instead of a diminishing and failing of people, there is this explosive growth and flourishing for everybody, including the nations. We also see that God uh, brings liberation and freedom for God's people instead of oppression. So he's reversing all of these things. And instead of war, there's peace. Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine that you are a person in exile. That's just what happened to the people of Judah. They, they got, went into exile, and as they are reading this story or hearing this read to them, and maybe they're in uh, Babylon, and they're thinking about uh, just missing home, missing the place that they came from. But then they hear this message of hope and light. What kind of joy would that begin to produce in them? Can they could even fathom what that looked like? But uh, as they're hearing it, they're hearing the words like, there is an end to this darkness. The promises of God will come to pass. So imagine you are there. What kind of joy and hope would these kinds of words bring to your heart? Maybe there are other things that you're dealing with. The darkness of uh, whatever it may be, choices made, choices made against you that uh, bring harm. Can you imagine what this kind of light would look like for you? Instead of fear and anger and injustice, there's uh, laughter, joy, reconciliation. Instead of hatred, there would be love, forgiveness, and no more war. <laughs> Can you even imagine what that looks like, what that feels like? Isaiah says this is all possible, but how? How is this going to happen? Well, he alludes to this uh, in verse 4. He says, as in the day of Midian's defeat. Um, Midian is this area where we hear, it actually kind of rhymes with the character Gideon. You guys remember Gideon in Midian? Okay. Uh, he... Uh, was a, a judge in, in the book of Judges where God said, hey, Gideon, I'm going to use you to bring deliverance to my people. And do you remember what Gideon was doing? Um, he was hiding in a grape vat, uh, threshing wheat because he was afraid of being seen. He is like the youngest uh, or whatever. He's just like not the character you would think would bring deliverance for the people of Israel. And to top that off, um, he uh, is, is, they're going against an enemy of over like 100,000 people, and they're only a small number. And God uses just 300 men and little fearful, doubtful Gideon to uh, show his power of deliverance. It's, it's to show that actually the power doesn't rely, it's not in you and me, it's not in humans, but in God. So he used all these guys to bring this, uh, to, to this, this weakness, this show of weakness, to bring a power that we could never even imagine. So this dawn, or this, uh, uh, it's going to be happening, it's going to come like a gentle dawn that overthrows the night. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, if... 
I, I don't know if you wake up at what, what's when does the sun come up in the winter? You know, we don't know. Like maybe you're hopefully you're up by 8:30, but uh, uh, some days maybe maybe we're not. But you, if you look out, you can see the sunrise. And it doesn't just like, bam, all of a sudden happen, and there's the sun, and it's 12 o'clock. You know, it's, it comes gently, but powerfully. You see the light begin to dawn, and then it begins to op- just push back the darkness as it goes. And that's a gentle kind of beauty and power that God is just kind of saying, this is what's going to happen. And how is this going to happen? Well, we look at in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the description of a child king. What he's going to be like. This is a profile of the king. Wonderful counselor. Um, someone that just astonishes somebody with their teaching, with their wisdom, uh, and, and provides counsel and grace in, in ways that we can never imagine. Does that maybe ring a bell, who, who that might be? Do you remember Jesus teaching and saying, uh, and the people were going, we were astonished at what he's saying. We've never heard anyone speak like this. Mighty God. That's not a normal description you hear about, like, you know, president or uh, anybody. Like, no one calls them mighty God. This is not a normal, just mere human. This is God become man. This is a man who is fully God and fully man. And given the title, mighty God. Everlasting father. The heart of of a father for his children. A good father for his children wants to protect and provide. And this king, this child king, is going to be like this. Someone who's going to provide um, protection, provide uh, help and healing. And then one of my favorite titles, we were singing about it earlier, Prince of Peace. Peace in the scriptures in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shalom. And that word is not just the mere absence of conflict, but it is actually a completeness, a wholeness. Um, I love uh, one of the videos by Bible Project, and they talk about what shalom means. And they have a picture of like a wall, a brick wall, and uh, it's, it's all full and complete. But when a brick comes out and it all begins to fall, that is not shalom. But when you see shalom happen in that wall, it, everything kind of comes back together and is perfectly fit together. It's complete. It's whole. It's also described of when relationships and conflict happen and there is not shalom there. There's brokenness. There's hurt. But when shalom happens within a relationship, there is restoration. There's reconciliation there's peace. It's not just, we're not hurting anybody anymore. It's, we are working together for the good of the other. This is the prince of peace. This is what this king is going to be like. Someone who provides this kind of peace for his people. 
what's the king, if that's the king, what's the kingdom look like? Let's look at this. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, shalom, that wholeness again, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, this is a description of what the kingdom is going to look like. Let's look at that. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And this expanding and never-ending Shalom that's going throughout the whole world. The kind of peace where flourishing, growth and life and healing happen. Remember uh, verse three where it talks about there's joy increased and there's people multiplying. It's only possible if there's peace and there's, there's wholeness over this place. And the king leads a kingdom of peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. So it's someone from the line of David, someone who's going to actually be the good king that they've been hoping for. All these kings have been struggling and not doing well, uh, but this is the king uh, that will one day rule over the kingdom of Israel and will also provide the blessing for the whole world, for all nations, for all humanity. His kingdom is going to look like uh, establishing and upholding justice and righteousness as well. We'll talk about that in a second. In the last days, this is Isaiah 2, verse 2, that's talking about this nation-gathering kind of king and what the kingdom is going to look like. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's temple, the Lord's temple, will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is the kind of kingdom that's going to, it's going to be an inviting kingdom where people from all different nations, all different places, different languages, different uh, cultures and experiences will all be united under this good and righteous king. It's also going to be a kingdom that is established and upheld with justice and righteousness. We could use so much of that in our lives today. Um, where can, can you just imagine what a kingdom would look like when righteousness and justice are there forever? And not just like for 50 years or, you know, four good years or whatever. It's there forever where there's not a failing of a justice system. There's no wickedness that's rewarded. But instead, it's a kingdom where life and light increase forever. As one commentator puts it, he says, This empire of grace will forever expand and every moment will be better than the last. That's the kind of kingdom I want to be a part of. <laughs> uh, and, but can you just even imagine what that would be like? So how do we know this will all come about? Well, that final phrase, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What does that mean, zeal? I had to look it up in the dictionary because it was a little challenging. We don't use that word very often, I think. Um, but it means this passionate like, desire to uh, accomplish something. 
in a negative sense, it's jealousy, and you, you don't want uh, this person to go away from you, and, and, and uh, you want there to be good things there and, and keep them, but when it's used in this positive sense, it's this passion to see uh, something through. And we see that God has this kind of passion to see it through to bring restoration and hope to people walking in darkness. Um, he is passionately committed to bringing this light. His faithfulness to keep his promises is essential to who he is. It's his character and nature. And he will be able to accomplish this because that's just who he is. He's going to do it, no matter what. So where are we today? I mean, it's good to read about something that, that like, wow, I think that's really hopeful for Israel, you know, they're, they're really having hard days and dark days, and uh, during that time, and I'm sure that was really cool to, for them to hear. But uh, the truth is, um, this is actually written also for you. And as we've said before, it can't mean something for them, or something for us, that it didn't first mean for them. And when we uh, look at what the promises are made, that this king is going to be a blessing to everybody, um, uh, that's, that's for us. <laughs> that's for us who are outside of this nation of Israel. So let's look at a few different obser observations just about what it means for us today. Well, first, our sin always leads to darkness and death. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Our sin always leads to darkness and death. Um, when we fail and sin against somebody, sin against uh, our, our friends, sins against our family, um, there's always this darkness that begins to creep in. There's always a brokenness that begins to, to creep in. And the wages of sin is death, as Romans 3.23, or uh, yeah, Romans 6.23 discusses. It says, the wages of sin is death. That's what we get when we play with fire, we get burned. When we sin, death and darkness begin to um, enter in. But um, the other thing that we see is God still is delighted to bring light to people in dark places. It's still his heart. God doesn't change. It doesn't change for the people in Israel. It doesn't change for us today. He is um, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he still delights in bringing light to people in dark places. Amen. Lastly, we see, as we continue on in the story, Jesus is the source of this light of life. John um, 1, verses 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and that life in Jesus, it's saying, was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus fulfills the promises of these passages because he himself entered into our broken world, our dark world. We, we read about it, we sing about it, we remember it every Christmas, um, but sometimes it can get so lost in the middle of our busy broken, dark lives. But the truth remains 
that Jesus entered into our darkness to bring the light of life. And how did he do that? Well, he was born as a baby. (laughs) That dawn begins there. As he's growing, this light is growing. And, And we remember that, again, he began his ministry in this area where darkness and death and and a history of just just oppression was. And he enters into these places and spaces, and what does he do? He provides healing. He provides um, wise and gracious and good teaching. He provides um, forgiveness for sins. He provides hope for people trapped in dark places. He he goes after these people. He goes after those who are lost. And then further, he, as he enters into these places, and he knows all of the darkness and all the things that um, the people around him are experiencing, he takes it a step further, and he dies. Again, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus no sin, no stains, took upon himself our darkness, (laughs) took upon himself our brokenness, took upon himself our sin, dying in our place and taking it with him to the grave. Um, Thank you, Jesus, for those things. But more than that, just in the moment where you think all is lost, wow, the guy that did so many good things for me, things I heard and taught, I heard him teach and see him heal people and love people in a way that I've just never seen before. He just died and he's buried now. And, you know, like people are just going, all hope is lost. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the king. Um, but just like one of those moments where light just begins to pierce the darkness, he rises again from the dead. Um, you have this moment of you catastrophe, a, a catastrophe that looked like it was just going to wipe everything out, and then it all turns on its head. Jesus took on our sin and our shame, and when he was uh, crucified on the cross, when he was, they put a robe around him to mock him. They put a crown of thorns on him to, uh, I mean, thorns that were, uh, made him bleed. They hurt him. They beat him. All of these things. And then uh, his rising again from the dead actually reverses all the effects of what that, was, what that meant. It wasn't just, I'm dying in shame, and that's, just gonna wait, that's the way it's going to be. It's, I'm taking this shame, and I'm taking this sin, And I am uh, putting it to death by my own death on the cross. Because when he rose rose again from the grave, and you look back on this crucifixion, it's like an upside-down coronation ceremony, where the king himself, instead of, like, you see the the throne and the good crowns and the royal robes and people presenting praise and honor to him, all of these things are reversed, but he takes all of that. And he takes the worst of our sin, all of our sin, but even those places that we think are too dark or just too much. He takes it all and he says, I can reach all of these dark places and bring light and hope out of the other end. That's the kind of king that our, our king Jesus is. He is a good and righteous and gracious king.
So um, Jesus overcomes death. He overcomes shame and fear. And I wonder if today you are in a moment where uh, there is fear, there's shame on you, maybe sin that you've done, uh, that you just feel the darkness around you. Um, maybe it's someone else's sin against you, and you, you just feel trapped in this brokenness. Um, maybe you don't know Jesus. You don't know that there's a king that came and is looking for you. He's looking for you because he wants to bring light into your dark places, the dark places in your heart and your life. He's looking to give it to you, but that's the kind of king he is. Um, And he wants to take the brokenness of your sin and give you righteousness and healing and light. Um, And maybe you have walked with Jesus for a while, but you are in this season of darkness. I mean, we feel it living in the Northwest. Uh, The weather comes in. You know, there's like a a physical sense where you begin to feel like, wow, life feels kind of dark right now. Um, There's a quote by an author and poet named Wendell Berry, and he says this, it gets darker and darker then Jesus is born. That speaks so much life and so much hope and peace to us. He can come into the darkest places of our lives and he doesn't go away, he stays with us. (laughs) He's with us through it and he's gonna provide the hope that we need when we trust in him. So, um, We're going to continue to sing about the goodness and grace of our Lord, um, his greatness. Um, Before we do, I just want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him personally, um, he wants to know you today. If you're here listening to it, this is for you. Um, You can come and talk to us. You can come and talk to Pastor Andrew here on the front. while I'm singing over here, but, uh, or we can talk afterwards, um, and we can talk about what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, Um, and uh, it looks like repenting, and it looks like trusting in Jesus, Uh, and if you are just in need of prayer, we'd love to pray with you as well, um, and talk about the light and the hope that we can have in Jesus, and the joy that that can produce in us, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to finish out with a song. Lord, would you um, continue to remind us daily in in our dark days and our dark moments, Lord, that the darkness is, um, that you can see through the darkness. You can see us, and you can come after us. You've proven it over and over again. Those promises that you made to the people of Israel, the people of Judah, it came to pass in a little town, uh, in a little manger, in a places that we would least expect, a dawn begins to break. Uh, and, and we begin to see the light of the hope, of the truth of those promises in Jesus. And I pray for those who may not know you, uh, that they would come to know you. I pray for those who uh, do know you, that we would draw near to you even more. And that we would know your grace, your goodness, your mercy. Lord, you bless Uh, bless us in this day um, and we trust you for the light that we need in Jesus name
You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.